is she? Shanna, the Jungle Queen. Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Gun's Shanna Showcase, a podcast devoted to the significant adventures in the publishing history of Marvel Comics' Shanna the She-Devil. This time out, I'll be talking very briefly about the 1990 graphic novel Khazar, Guns of the Savage Land, and then I'll be going over a little more carefully the first two chapters of a ten-part Shanna serial that ran in Marvel Comics Presents. Alright, so Shanna had appeared throughout the 1980s almost exclusively alongside her husband Khazar, Lord of the Savage Land. But by the time the Guns of the Savage Land graphic novel, it's taken for granted that the pair had been separated for at least a year. And that's the situation in this book, which is written by the team of Chuck Dixon and Tim Truman. Now, I'm more familiar with the DC work of these guys. Truman was fresh off his work on Hawkworld, and Dixon was a few months away from becoming a mainstay in the Bat family of books. I think this might be the only time the pair have worked on either Khazar or Shanna. The book is painted by Ricardo Villagran over layouts by Gary Quapis. A really nice looking book. I'll try to get some images up on the blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, though the format is a little difficult to scan. It's funny to me how painted books seem a little dated now. Painted work was, I remember being something special. It would often work as a single illustration, like the odd cover. But interior painted work was rare, reserved for the, usually for the glut of prestige format releases of the 1990s, or a graphic novel such as, such as this one. I remember being blown away, just like everyone else, at the work Alex Ross was doing on Marvels and then on Kingdom Come. But what I've come to realize now is that there's just nothing like the reproduced images of pencil drawings enhanced by ink pen and ink brush on the comics page. Anything else can sometimes seem like a gimmick. I'd actually love to see Alex Ross just pencil a page of panels and then see someone like Terry Austin or, or oof, Ty Templeton ink the work. That that would be something special, I bet. Anyway, I can see the script of the Guns of the Savage Land graphic novel as a template for a Khazar film. Got a 80s action flick kind of vibe to it. So the plot, briefly, is this. Shanna and Khazar are separated, as I said, in the this separation occurred sometime after Khazar had been ousted as Lord of the Savage Land by a suddenly unified group of native races. Khazar has taken this kind of hard and has been living as something of a savage recluse in the old plunder estate in England, where he and his saber-toothed tiger friend Zabu live in squalor with animal bones littering the carpets. He's visited by Shanna. The pair have been enlisted by the Fantastic Four's old friend, Wyatt Wingfoot, to serve as advisors on an expedition to explore a savage world-like land found underneath New Mexico, strangely. Khazar's self-imposed isolation has left Shanna to care for their son, whose name is Matthew, though here he's called Kyle. And when Shanna and Khazar meet again, it's not pretty. 
Lord Plunder has really reverted to the curt wild man of his earliest appearances, which I've found suits him better than the wise-cracking man of the 1980s he'd been portrayed in his most recent solo series. But their encounter is in danger of ending in rape, which is a hard scene to read, but Shanna manages to get through to the big lunk, who almost doesn't seem to recognize her. She thinks this expedition will be good for him, and in a way it is. The group, Shanna, Kazar, and Wyatt, run into a tribe of natives to this strange land who are themselves in danger of being pillaged by an energy company called Pluto, interested in the vast natural resources of the place, which may or may not be connected to the actual Savage Land. Shanna and Kazar initially take the job for the money as both are facing some hard times and have a kid to raise. But Kazar becomes more and more invested in the dealings of the Pluto company. Apparently, Kevin Plunder is a shareholder in the company, which makes their actions in the new Savage Land even more appalling to Kazar. So Wyatt Wingfoot, Shanna, and Kazar manage to unite and rally the natives and and some dinosaurs to oppose the Pluto Corp. And there's a total action movie climax where Kazar must face the military mercenary in charge of the operation, complete with wife beater and crew cut. They fight one-on-one for all the marvels. You can just hear the John Williams score. During the adventure, though, Shanna and Kazar drift further apart. Kevin has found his new place, a new people to lord over, and he's totally in his element while Shanna no longer feels part of this world. There are responsibilities in the civilized world and other adventures to be had. And their separation at the end of the graphic novel would lead directly into her next appearances. So, if you can find a copy of Guns of the Savage Land, I'd recommend it. The experience is totally akin to taking in a matinee adventure film, and it does nicely set the stage for Shanna's next run of appearances. And those occur in, as I said, a ten-part serial beginning in issue number 68 of Marvel Comics Presents. MCP was a bi-weekly anthology title, almost always having a Wolverine lead story. And then there were three other stories starring any number of Marvel characters. Issue number 68, cover dated January 1991, has a Wolverine Ghost Rider lead story. It's got a Fantastic Four story and uh, a Lockjaw story to go along with Chapter 1 of Shanna. All these stories are contained in a very nice wraparound cover by Shanna artist Paul Gulacy. She-Devil gets some prominent real estate on the back cover. So this Shanna serial is called The Bush of Ghosts. And chapter one is subtitled Hunters. It's by Gerard Jones, who was simultaneously writing Green Lantern for DC and scripting, uh, at this point, Justice League Europe. It's, as I said, penciled by Paul Gulacy and inked by Gary Martin, and I love this duo. Martin's strong inks give Gulacy's already designy layouts a, a great stylized look. The letters are by Jade Mode, and the great coloring is by Steve Matson. 
This story opens on the African plain, and a gorgeously illustrated pair of rhinoceros sees... sees... <laughs> with opening narration by some kind of reserve official named Jeremy McHale, who's the first of four narrators, actually, in this eight-page story. Poachers, some of them coming out of hinged doors in the ground and armed with assault rifles and even rocket launchers, have been tracked by, down by Mikhail and his group of rangers. But the reserve staff is no match for this attack. And only a hiding Jeremy Mikhail survives. The scene next shifts to the point of view of journalist Eric Heller, who's investigating some thefts from a diamond mine somewhere in Africa. He's about to snap some picks inside the mine when, from overhead, a cart full of rubble tumbles down. We're led to believe it was possibly pushed, and Heller is just below it, about to be crushed. The scene then next quickly shifts to a Paris nightclub and a transaction between a French importer and Sir Guy Cross Wallace. The importer is trying to push an antique African statuette on Sir Guy, who refuses, saying he's not after craftsmanship. He wants sacred objects for use in his dabblings in African magic, juju. He tells the importer to keep him posted as he's about to come into some money, but now he's got some hunting to do. He downs a cocktail of what he says is rhino blood and ground horn, which he feels pound through him as he approaches a woman on the dance floor. Next up we see Shan O'Hara walking a pet leopard, or jaguar, into a London boutique. She thinks to herself she's finding it hard to find clothes that aren't acid house look, which immediately dates this story. The shop's proprietor obviously has no problem with the presence of a leopard. She actually relates to Shanna some nasty business of some animals being killed that morning at a local zoo. She asks, who'd want to kill those elephants and hippopotamuses?" she says. <laughs> when she turns towards Shanna, she finds her customer's gone. Shan is almost immediately on the scene at the zoo, swinging down from a tree where some police are still conferring. Two rhinos and one hippo had been killed, the stomachs torn out and the horns removed, and apparently the genitals as well. Shanna rushes past them to see the bodies for herself, despite warnings from the police, who they seem to know her. Inside, another official tells her that this case is not unique. Similar attacks had been reported in Brussels and Paris. Shanna thinks to herself that this situation is familiar. And it should be. It was a zoo attack that directly led to her life as an adventurer. But this time is a little different. This time, she thinks, she knows the man that did it. And that's it for chapter one. Chapter 2 is found in the very next issue of MCP, behind another Wolverine Ghost Rider story. Also in this issue is a Silver Surfer story and a, and a Daredevil. Sandy Plunkett and Alan Weiss illustrate the wraparound cover, and again, Shanna's prominent on the, on the back. 
chapter 2 of the Bush of Ghosts called Arrow of Gods opens in the office of an African artifacts importer staffed by three people. One of the staff members mentions the new zoo shipment, which should be put with the Paris box. Suddenly, at their open door, stands Shanna the She-Devil in street clothes, collar popped. She asks the group why they, why they killed those animals. One of them pulls a gun on Shanna, and she leaps into action, tackling the gunman, and begins choking the life out of him. She says she's recognized almost all the clues she knows about their boss, Sir Cross Wallace, and his rituals, but she can't figure out why the animal's stomachs were removed. Shanna's victim gasps they're running a legitimate business. She lets up but tells them she'll be back and tells them not to contact Cross Wallace. Though of course, as soon as she leaves, they're immediately on the phone to the Hotel Ritz in Paris. There we find Sir Guy about to perform some juju with the help of an assistant, Akulia. Sir Guy is decked out in face paint and wields a sacrificial knife and is about to use it on a little tiger cub or a lion cub when the phone rings. It's his warning about Shanna snooping around. Next we meet on the streets of New York a real sharp-dressed, jive-talking man named Dubose Wilson. He's been waiting on a delivery of diamonds from London, which he's apparently been hired to sell, though money troubles of his own result in an almost successful drive-by shooting. Dubose thinks to himself, he needs those diamonds, quick. Next we see journalist Eric Heller, who survived the quote-unquote accident in the mine after narrowly escaping a falling mining cart. A doctor on the scene says he'll bring him something for the pain, while one of the miners tries to dissuade Heller from pursuing his story on diamond thefts. Country of Zaire had apparently hired Heller to do a photo essay on mining, but the government wouldn't object if the reporter dug a little deeper into the rash of jewel robberies. A nurse approaches Heller and tells him not to take the medicine he'd just been given by the doctor. It's apparently poison. In fact, he should leave right now, and she directs him to a lake on the other side of the mountains. That's where he can trail the diamonds. Heller takes his advice, and as he departs, the nurse is shot. Heller hears this and wonders what good he can do, except to break the story. Shanna has tracked Sir Guy to Paris and enters his hotel, strangely armed with a gun, which is out of character and something she'd normally avoid at all costs. She finds the place abandoned, but discovers all the sacrificial paraphernalia, including a bloody blade, so I guess Kitty didn't make it. So the search for Sir Guy will have to continue elsewhere. At a New York airport, Dubose Wilson's diamond contact doesn't show, so he decides then and there to make the trip to Tanzania to shake his livelihood loose. Also making his way to Tanzania is Eric Heller, who managed to make it to the lake and has bribed a local to take him across, hot on the trail of the diamond smugglers. In the last panel, we see the game warden from last issue, Jeremy McHale, the last survivor of his group that was attacked by rhino poachers. 
He's making his way somewhere on foot, vowing to himself to avenge his fallen comrades. I've got a feeling he's going to end up in Tanzania, too. So Gerard Jones is weaving all these threads that seem to be working their way together, dovetailing into the greater narrative. His storytelling is a lot different here from the pretty straightforward superhero stuff he was writing in Green Lantern. A little bit, I'd say, it seems a little closer to the more abstract approach he'd take in the title Green Lantern Mosaic. I admire the slow build in this Shanna story, but I think it suffers a little bit in this anthology format, being pieced out eight pages at a time. It certainly seems like something meant to be read in one sitting, and it's a minor shame that it hasn't been reprinted that way. Okay, I think that'll do it for this episode. I'll be following up next time with four more chapters of this serial where these story threads really start coming together and the action heats up. In the meantime, if you have anything to add on Marvel Comics Presents, Shanna, or Diamond Smuggling, let me know by leaving a comment on the blog or emailing me at I-M-T-H-E-G-U-N, I'm the gun, at gmail.com. So until next time, see you on the Savannah.